0: Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. We are continuing in our uh, series this morning on encounters. And so we've kind of been combing through the Gospels, looking looking for these stories of encounter where we see Jesus encountering different people, different groups of people um, from all different kinds of walks of life and uh, often these encounters were surprising in some kind of way, right? He was interacting with people in a, in a way that was taboo or overstepping um, social norms. Oftentimes, it could, could have been reckless, maybe a little bit offensive to different people in the story. He would give them answers that would be perplexing, that they would have to chew on, um, he would, Invite them to new ways of living, and this morning our story, uh, the response was was sadness. This man walked away from this encounter with Jesus, saddened. So we're going to look into that. He's often challenging people's worldviews, right, and kind of their assumption of how the religious system is supposed to work, uh, and so. We're looking at these stories because we really desire an encounter with Jesus in our own life, right? We want Him to speak to our own heart, and we want to listen to Him, and we want to see what He has to say for us. Uh, but also, but often we also have to have that that position of um, being receptive and being seeking and being open to what He what He says, because when He speaks, it's often. Um, out of love to, to change us or reorient our hearts towards him and towards his kingdom purposes. Uh, <clears throat> so you know the t-shirt company um, Life is Good. It's kind of that like hokey like character, right? I have a slide up here. That's kind of like the signature look, right? I've always kind of thought it was a little hokey. Uh, But now they've branched out and they make all kinds of life is good uh, t-shirts, right? And so you can imagine anything that you want that you think life is good, not just this guy, because you wouldn't catch me wearing that. Um, (laughs) But here's some different examples. Uh, Maybe at this, maybe by now it's like a throwback t-shirt and cool, but there's, there's different examples, like uh, there's an RV, right? Some guys like towing an RV. Life is good. Um, let's see, I have to look over here. I can't look back there. Oh, there's one like at the beach, right? So there's canoe, tubing, jumping off the dock. L- life is good at the lake. All right, then there's diversified portfolio. Life is good, right? You got your different golf clubs. May the fish be with you. Life is good life is good, look on the bright side, you know, and life is good walking, that, that might be mine, although I still think it's hokey. <laughs> uh, life is good walking through the forest. I don't have a dog, maybe I'll be jogging through the forest, that's my life is good t-shirt, you know, I'm going on Lake of the Woods path, running, life is good there. Um, so those are some examples of, you know, what represents Life is good when you think about going after the good life. So what comes to mind, you know, in your mind, when I say the good life, right? What elements need to be there for you when I say the good life? That you would walk away saying, yeah, I lived a good life, right, a meaningful life, a purposeful life. What would be on your t-shirt, you know, that you could design? We're all after the good life in some way or another. You know, we're all looking for that sense of peace, of, of meaning, right? Of security or belonging or fun and adventure. And today's encounter, we're, we're going to look uh, at how Jesus is saying that the good life is in him, first and foremost that he is the ultimate source of all those desires. Not that those desires are bad, but the source is him, and he offers us the good life. And it kind of reminded me this week when I was preparing of the line from an old hymn that often gets used in modern worship songs. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace." And there's, there's a lot that uh, even our own community offers, I think, as the good life, right? You look outside our doors. We have this nice, quaint community. We have Lake of the Woods, right? That's my good life t-shirt running through Lake of the Woods. I feel like it's a little treasure in central Illinois, you know? Have this forest. Uh, with all the beautiful things that they do to keep it up um we have walkable bike paths you know you can get around town there's no traffic here right I mean when traffic was taken out of my life that's a good life man in Baton Rouge I was always <laughs> stressed and <laughs> overwhelmed by the traffic right you know you'd rush your kids in the car try to drive somewhere on time and you'd be sitting there and it caused a lot of stress. It was not the good life to sit in traffic. Um, so we have this community that can kind of seem uh, ideal, you know, ideal. Like we're free of problems, right? We've created this good life for us, however we define that. But I think no matter what, we can still be keenly aware of that, that emptiness with it all right? That sometimes there's still those things in our soul that doesn't matter how many t-shirts we collect for ourselves of the good life, there's still something deeper. And so our encounter this morning is all about that. So it's from Matthew. Well, this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to be looking at it in Matthew this morning. And Matthew's gospel, he wrote it to a Jewish Christian audience. So he was kind of writing it in many ways like an evangelistic tool, right, to his own people. That he was persuading the Jews, like, this is really the guy. The Messiah is really the person that we've been waiting for. And often one of his themes throughout his book is really showing the true nature of the kingdom of God which came differently and was unexpected to a lot of the Jewish audience. Um, The the idea of God's rule and reign was not new to them. That's what they were waiting for. But the way that it came was surprising and often unrecognizable unless they were open to it. And so Matthew, he really writes about how God's rule and reign reign invaded the human experience and then what it meant to live as a citizen of this new kingdom. So we're gonna start here in Matthew 19, 16 uh, is where the story starts. And um, in this, in in Matthew's account, it's titled The Rich Man. Now, uh, Luke adds, the word ruler and so basically what we come away with is that he is a rich young ruler sometimes you know that title um, from this story but he is a wealthy religious up and coming uh leader right so he's he's young he's wealthy but he's he's religious he's a leader he's almost like a a younger version maybe of Nicodemus that we talked about from the week before. You know, he's not quite the old sage that Nicodemus was, but he's up and coming. He's um, well-respected, well-off, and a moral, faithful Jew. So the rich man. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. So this man, he approaches Jesus with a very very thoughtful question, right? He wants to know how he can receive eternal life. But the emphasis of his question is, what can I do, right? It's based on this self-effort. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And it... He's, he's focusing on himself rather than what Jesus can actually do for him. And so, you know, like Nicodemus, he, he ha, he's coming to Jesus with some kind of anticipation that this man is the Messiah and who he says he is, with some kind of curiosity to know more, right? And he wants to be a part of, of Jesus' coming kingdom. He knows Um, that it's coming. If the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. And eternal life for the Jewish audience is synonymous with entering the kingdom of God. They didn't take it as uh, where were were they going after they died, like were they going to heaven? Um, Eternal life was synonymous with with entering the kingdom of God, which meant God's rule and reign reign his perfect rule and reign coming to the earth to transform everything, right? To bring the whole of creation into this new state of being, this new life where evil and decay and sin, death itself, all is going to be eliminated and done away with. So he wants to be a part of that kingdom. He wants to ensure his entrance into the the kingdom of God happening, not just where he's going uh, at the end of his life. Um, So he's really asking, you know, how he can gain this new life. He wants to be a part of it. And as a religious man, he assumes that it revolves around effort, right? He assumes it revolves around something that he can do. And also kind of in this question is, God, where do I stand with you? You know, I've been living this good moral life, my whole life, you know, am I good enough? Is there something else I need to do to ensure my good standing with you, to obtain this spiritual status? And I think within his question is this worldview that um, the religious system holds, which, which is the pathway to God's kingdom and eternal life is something we can do, something that we can perform. That all these external things is what makes me good enough. We're a doing kind of culture, right? We're not a being kind of culture. I think COVID taught us a lot of, a lot of that and, and shine that light. We have a hard time being and becoming more than, than doing and performing. And so Jesus kind of you know, interestingly answers his question by saying, you know, why do you ask me about what is good? Well, he wasn't really asking about what is good, right? Why? But goodness, he's saying, is found in a person. There is only one who is good. It's not these good works. It's the source of that goodness. Divine goodness is a person and Jesus is our way to that goodness, and he is then our good life. And only in understanding where this goodness comes from can we enter into that new life, rather than doing things to earn this status of being morally good. The goodness is receiving the divine goodness that is God himself. And as we receive the abundance of goodness that he pours out on us, then anything we do in this life is a reflection of God's goodness. Yeah, we can go around and do good things and have good things in our life because it reflects the goodness and the source of where it came from. Because God in and of himself is good. It's his character He is kind and tender-hearted towards all of humanity. Um, Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. God created us in his goodness, and he redeems us in his goodness. It was out of the good things he felt in his heart for us that he has done and will do all the things that he has done for us. He, His goodness doesn't like diminish or get more based on our performance. He is abundantly good all the time, and it doesn't increase with our behavior or decrease with our behavior. He doesn't count our sin against us. As soon as we turn to God, it doesn't matter the amount of junk we've accumulated, it's all, we just get embraced in his goodness. It is not counted against us. We don't earn a a certain standing with God by being good first. And so Jesus is really challenging this man's worldview and really the religious system altogether. But he kind of plays along with him and he starts listing some of the commandments. Okay, if you, really, if you do want to do this, obey God. And here's the commandments that you already know, that you're already following. And he, and he kind of knows that, right? So he goes on and, and lists some of the Ten Commandments. And actually one of the greatest commandments, loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's kind of a redundant answer because as a devout, faithful, Jewish, moral man, he knows that he's living up to these things. And sure enough, the the rich young ruler he says, I've obeyed all these commands. What else must I do? Um, So he he's followed God in every way that he he knows how. And I mean, this is a this is a good dude. You know, this is the kind of man, the rich young ruler is the kind of man you might want your daughters to date, right? He's an upstanding man in the community. He is honored and has a good name for himself. So if he is following these commandments that Jesus lists, let's just kind of imagine what that would mean. So he says, don't murder. You shall not murder. He lists that command. So if this man is keeping that command, it means that he's a kind man. He is not violent, right? He's not getting in bar fights or road rage with other people's camels. He is a good man and very gentle, okay? The next one, you shall not commit adultery. This means if he's keeping this commandment, he is sexually pure in his mind, in his heart, in his body. He's not hooking up with other Jewish women randomly right? He's not watching porn. He's not longing for any other woman except his wife. He's morally pure. You shall not steal was the next one. So this means, you know, like he has integrity in his business deals. He's paying his workers fairly. He doesn't cheat on his taxes, right? He he tips generously at the, at the local restaurant, right? He is uh, he's not cheating people and stealing. You shall not bear false witness. So he's truthful. He doesn't go around lying or gossiping or talking behind people's backs. In our day and age, he wouldn't have a Facebook account or an Instagram. He just wouldn't have it because it's just too much, too much untruthfulness. He is sticking uh, to what is true. He doesn't spin the truth for personal gain. He is uh, keeping this command. The next one Jesus mentions, honor your father and mother. He's obedient to his parents. He honors them. Maybe he throws them birthday parties and buys them gifts on, on Mother's Day and Father's Day. He, he is honoring them and their life and loving your neighbor as yourself. This means like he's taking care of his property and his neighbor's property. He's looking out for those around him in his community. You know, for us it's like he's helping, uh, he's raking his own leaves and he's raking his neighbor's leaves. He's doing good deeds in his community. He is an upstanding um, moral man, but he still feels like he lacks something. What else must I do, is his question. It's his follow-up question. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And he couldn't bear what Jesus says. And he walks away grieved because he had many possessions. And then going on in the story, verse 23, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. The rich young ruler and the disciples are quite puzzled by Jesus's response. Who can be saved if this guy can't even be saved? He's the one that has God's favor. You know, if you you had a lot of money, that was because God was blessing you and you had God's favor in Jewish society. So he is keeping all the laws, he is following all the rules, and he has God's favor because he is wealthy. So if this guy can't be saved, Jesus, what in the world? Who can be saved? This seems impossible. And he says, yeah, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is the source of the goodness that our hearts long for and go after in this good life, right? Tim Keller uh, said this about this story. He said, Jesus smashed two of the rich young ruler's assumptions. Christianity is something you can add and something that you can do. And he, he describes that, that religion operates on this principle of I obey, therefore, I'm accepted by God. And when we, when we feed that narrative, we think that, man, if we don't obey God, we're punished by God. And then we don't receive his love or his goodness and, and we're in the lack, right? We're not sure where we stand with God. We might feel far from him because we're really trying to control things on our own efforts and our own behavior. But the operating principle of the gospel says, I'm accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, and therefore I obey. So any good work that we do, any obedience that we do, is a reflection of the absolute grace and goodness that is poured out to us freely and Jesus's response to the rich young ruler to to sell his possessions and follow him it isn't a stipulation for salvation this isn't like any other answer that he's given to any other person this was just this man's answer this man's invitation Jesus was lovingly inviting him into the good life not the good life found in possessions and wealth and status and effort and performance that's what this man needed to hear this isn't a command for all of us everywhere the only way to life with him is to sell our possessions but Jesus was really putting, putting a finger, I think, on a sensitive area in his heart where his wealth did something for this man that only the gospel of Jesus could really do. This, this wealth, his possessions, provided a sense of security and identity and goodness for this man. And anything in our life that provides a sense of goodness and security and identity outside of Jesus can become an idol. And so this man's wealth was an idol, and Jesus lovingly put his finger on that area in this conversation, and he walked away sad because he could not cut ties with it. He could not bear giving it up for Jesus. The gospel says that there's really greater treasure that your heart desires in life lived with God. Are you willing to trade it for the treasure that Jesus has for you? Because God is good, and he's good to all people, regardless of our behavior or our sin or our brokenness. And he says, come and feast on my goodness. That those that enter the kingdom of God are going to know a treasure that the world is never going to understand. That there's an uh, abundance of goodness available in God when you trust in him. There's an ancient uh, tale from India, and it goes like this. Um, Four royal brothers decided each to master a special ability. Time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. I have mastered a science, said the first, by which I can take but a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. I, the second, one said, know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on the bones. The third said, I am able to create its limbs if I have flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I concluded the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. So the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their special abilities. And as fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's. One added flesh to the bone, the second grew hide and hair, And the third completed it with matching limbs. And the fourth gave the lion life. And shaking its mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on its creators. He killed them all and vanished contently into the jungle. And the takeaway is that we have, as humans, the capacity (laughs) <laughs> to create that which can devour us, right? Our goals and our dreams, our, our, um, the things that we perform at and try can, can consume us. Our, our possessions, our greed, whatever grips our heart can actually destroy us. But Jesus is giving this man an invitation to God's good kingdom being first in his life, allowing him to say, you know, your heart's treasure is first in me and in heaven. So, you know, what good thing does your heart seek that you're looking to have those needs fulfilled elsewhere? We, as humans, will, you know, habitually just turn to other things besides God, to fulfill those good needs unless we're proclaiming that gospel to ourselves, the good news that we find goodness in God alone and we are loved and made right and delighted in no matter what. We can't do anything to earn more of his love or his favor. We have it abundantly each and every day. Each and every day, God's heart is turned towards us Now, in Mark's account, before Jesus gave him this answer to sell all his possessions, there's this one little line in verse 21. And it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love that. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He wasn't trying to tell this man uh, something like, harsh. He loved him and out of his deep love for him, he says, sell your possessions, part with what is holding your heart captive. And it was all out of love. It was for his genuine good. It wasn't for punishment. Jesus was inviting him to find the source of his desires in him to worship him above all else a real relationship not just following rules to make himself good enough and jesus's love goes all the way to those little crevices those little places wherever in our heart that we're trying to create those good things for ourselves his love goes all the way there and he sends this man on a journey of self discovery of really examining his own life his own efforts that still that need reordering and the man know he has a sense of it we don't know what happens with this man in the story but we know that he senses that that emptiness that i'm not sure where i stand with god kind of soul jarring questions. And and he walks away sad. He doesn't take Jesus' invitation. We don't know what happens with him the rest of his life. But he was offering him uh, entrance into God's kingdom. That The way into God's kingdom is that God's rule and reign is now established on our hearts. It's no longer in rules And law, but it's in our hearts because he renews our hearts to his goodness so that his character is formed in in us and his goodness flows out of us. We are made new. So this morning, you know, what might be Jesus saying to you from this story? Because we do have an opportunity to respond by placing ourselves in this story, by imagining um, the things that Jesus might say To us what might his love be saying to you so this week um, my practical tips are to, to read this story to meditate on this story and just ask yourselves where do our desires match up with Jesus and where do our desires move away from Jesus and is there anything that he's lovingly placing his finger on in your life, that he wants to transform with his love. Because the reality is that God is a good father who desires good things for us, and he wants our heart to be filled first and foremost with his goodness. So let's pray um, as we transition Uh, to worship this morning. God, we are thankful um, for your divine goodness, that it isn't something that we created, it's something that you are. And I ask that you would just reveal um, to our hearts this morning more of that reality, of that truth. That we don't have to work and perform so hard to make everything so good in our lives you are our goodness and sometimes we can just let go of that performance of whatever things we're always trying to do in this life and we can look we can just turn our eyes towards you look full in your wonderful face and let the things of this world fade away God, we want to worship you this morning, and so we invite your presence here in this room, and we just ask for more of you in our lives. God, thank you for being good, and we worship you this morning. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to LifeMohammed.org.